And now, from the gleaming spires of Chicago, broadcasting across the multiverse, from the heights of Hlidskjalf to the depths of Niflheim, from the MCU to the DCU, from the slopes of Mount Olympus and beyond, you are tuned to the immortal sounds of Radio Free Asgard. And hello, everybody, and welcome to Radio Free Asgard. This is episode number 346 of the only Thor podcast hosted by a true descendant of Odin. We're a proud member of the Comics Podcast Network, and we're coming at you, as we always do, from beautiful Chicago, Illinois. So this week, we're going to be going off on a little bit of a tangent, as we promised last time. Instead of looking at a comic book issue, which is what we normally do here, if you're new to the show... We are actually going to be covering Avengers Endgame. So our movie review of Avengers Endgame is coming up. And of course, uh, we have a lot to say about the movie and uh, what has gone on in it. Because of that, there are going to be many, many, many spoilers. So if you have not seen Avengers Endgame, I would strongly suggest that you turn this off, go see Avengers Endgame, and then come back and listen to the rest of this episode. So I'm going to start off this review by doing a recap of the plot. And I think it's important to do so just to kind of keep us organized here. And rather than write my own plot, I'm just going to read the plot off of Wikipedia. So again, if you haven't seen the movie and you don't want any spoilers, you want to turn the show off now and then go back because I'm going to start reading this now. 23 days after Thanos used the Infinity Gauntlet to disintegrate half of all life in the universe, Carol Danvers rescues Tony Stark and Nebula from deep space and returns them to Earth. They reunite with the remaining Avengers, Bruce Banner, Steve Rogers, Rocket, Thor, Natasha Romanoff, and James Rhodes, and find Thanos on an uninhabited planet. How can that be uninhabited if Thanos is there? Anyway, they plan to retake and use the Infinity Stones to reverse the disintegrations, but Thanos reveals he destroyed them to prevent further use. An enraged Thor decapitates Thanos. Five years later, Scott Lang escapes from the quantum realm. He travels to the Avengers compound where he explains to Romanoff and Rogers that he experienced only five hours while trapped. Theorizing the quantum realm could allow time travel, the three ask Stark to help them retrieve the stones from the past and to reverse Thanos' actions in the present. But Stark refuses to help. After talking with his wife, Pepper Potts, Stark relents and works with Banner, who has since merged his intelligence with the Hulk's strength, and the two successfully build a time machine. Banner warns that changing the past does not affect their present, and any changes instead create branched alternate realities. He and Rocket go to the Asgardian's refugees' new home in Norway, New Asgard, to recruit Thor, now an overweight alcoholic, despondent over his failure in stopping Thanos. In Tokyo, Romanoff recruits Clint Barton, now a ruthless vigilante following the disintegration of his family. Banner, Lang, Rogers, and Stark travel to New York City in 2012. Banner visits the Sanctum Sanctorum and convinces the Ancient One to give him the Time Stone. Rogers successfully retrieves the Mind Stone, but Stark and Lang's attempt to steal the Space Stone goes awry, and 2012 Loki manages to escape with it. Rogers and Stark travel to S.H.I.E.L.D. headquarters in 1970, where Stark obtains an earlier version of the Space Stone and encounters his father, Howard, in the process, while Rogers steals several Pym particles from Hank Pym to return to the present. Rocket and Thor travel to Asgard in 2013, extracting the Reality Stone from Jane Foster and retrieving Thor's hammer Mjolnir. 
Nebula and Rhodes travel to Morag in 2014 and steal the Power Stone before Peter Quill can. Rhodes returns to the present with the Power Stone, but Nebula is incapacitated when her cybernetic implants link with those of her past self. Through this connection, 2014 Thanos learns of his future success and the Avengers attempts to undo it. Thanos captures present-day Nebula and sends past Nebula to the present in the former's place. Barton and Romanoff travel to Vormir, where the Soul Stone's keeper, the Red Skull, reveals that can only be acquired by sacrificing someone they love. Romanoff sacrifices herself, allowing Barton to obtain the Soul Stone. Reuniting in the present, the Avengers fit the stones into a Stark-created gauntlet, which Banner uses to resurrect all those whom Thanos disintegrated. Past Nebula uses the time machine to transport past Thanos and his warship to the present, where he attacks the Avengers' compound, planning to destroy and then rebuild the universe with the stones. Nebula convinces past Gamora to betray Thanos and kills her past self. Stark, Rogers, and Thor fight Thanos but are outmatched. Thanos summons his army to devastate the Earth, but a restored Stephen Strange arrives with other sorcerers, the restored Avengers and Guardians of the Galaxy, the armies of Wakanda and Asgard, and the Ravagers to fight Thanos and his army alongside Danvers, who destroys Thanos' warship as she arrives. After overpowering the heroes, Thanos seizes the gauntlet, but Stark steals the stones back and uses them to disintegrate Thanos and his army, then dies from the energy emitted in the process. Following Stark's funeral, Thor appoints Valkyrie as the ruler of New Asgard and joins the Guardians of the Galaxy, while Quill plans to search for the 2014 Gamora. Rogers returns the Infinity Stones and Mjolnir to their original places in time and remains in the past to live with Peggy Carter. In the present, an elderly Rogers passes on his shield and mantle to Sam Wilson. In the past, Rogers and Carter share a dance, as they promise to, and kiss. The end. So obviously there's a lot to say about this movie. It's a very involved movie. There are a lot of characters. There's a lot of subplots. There's a lot of stuff to keep track of. And that's why the movie is three hours long. There's just so much that you really can't ignore any one thread without having some part of the movie unravel as the result of it. That being said, I think the Russos did a great job of tying it all together keeping it all consistent. There are some things, obviously, that I have an issue with. We'll be talking about those a little bit later and the nitpicks and so forth. But I think overall, the movie has a lot of emotional resonance. You have a, basically, I think, a fairly realistic view of what it would be like if half the population of the Earth got destroyed. People just being in this sort of state of shock. I don't think that, we would have a situation where, as it shows in this movie, where society just ceases to function. I mean, if you go back to the time when I was born, you know, 1962, if you want to go back, you know, the 50 plus years, basically there were half as many people on earth then as there are now. And you know, just getting rid of half the people is not going to cause everything to grind to a halt. Just like not everything ground to a halt back in the 1940s when the Earth's population was even less, you know. Um, So I have a little bit of an issue with that. But as far as it goes, I think they did a good job. You know, people are obviously very despondent over losing members of their family and so forth. I think that they handled the bleakness of this new world pretty well. Uh, We have the character of Captain America initially he's introduced and he's in the chairman of the sort of support group. Incidentally, one of the members of that support group was 
the artist writer Jim Starlin, who was the creator of Thanos. I believe he was the older gentleman with the with the ponytail. And so the uh, the the gay man who they made a a big deal about having this gay character was actually one of the directors uh, of the film. Uh, significance of that character. Now they've since promised this is beyond the, the point. But they've since promised that there actually is a gay character in the MCU that they haven't uh, really revealed yet. My guess is that it's Valkyrie uh, because it it doesn't really make sense with most of the other characters that they've already established. Uh, But we'll see. You know, you never know. Anyway, um, that's that's again, I'd say uh, a bit of a tangent. I think that the character story arcs make sense for the most part. I think that the characters in the film react exactly according to characters now i include thor in that and i'll give you my rationale for that in a sec but we basically we have you know we have iron man who is kind of you know retired off he's gotten married he's had a kid he you know he has kind of given up on being iron man and and being this great inventor and has kind of done what i think Tony Stark would do. He's kind of retreated and and stopped trying to to solve this. You know, he's trying to be happy. We have Captain America, who is already a person out of time, who's already lost everything, and he continues to try to help other people. He's finding that that satisfaction in helping other people move on, continuing to help people in his own way as Steve Rogers, not necessarily as Captain America. Because of the fact that he's lost everything twice, basically, he is probably the most deserving of the happy ending that he gets. And I really like Captain America's uh, story arc in the film because I think it makes perfect sense for his character. And it's nice to see at least one character who really gets the happy ending that they deserve. Uh, We have Mark Ruffalo, who they don't really explain how he gets from the point A that we have with this sort of Hulk impotence that we have going on in Infinity War and where we have him now, which is Bruce Banner's mind in the Hulk's body. We really don't get any explanation. We don't really have, you know, a a very good um, rationale behind it at all. It just is kind of there. And it's one of the weak points of the film that we really don't get that story. You could argue that it kind of stems from what happened in Thor Ragnarok, but I I don't really know. It's not... uh, I, I don't really see that. Scarlett Johansson, um, we have the Black Widow, and she is just kind of continuing on as she continues on. I mean, she, again, is like Captain America, just kind of going on and going through the motions every day and still trying to, to help people in her in her own way, apparently. But again, we don't really get a lot of backstory of what happened to her between the uh, Infinity War movie and here. We have to remember here, five years has passed in the MCU, uh, which which is important, and we'll actually talk about that later. Now, we have the, uh, the, the two extreme members of the original Avengers who've kind of gone in opposite directions. We have Hawkeye, who has become this uh, this uh, violent Punisher-like character called called Ronin? Is going around murdering people, chopping up people with swords and stuff, and that's one way that you can go with grief. You can become the Punisher and have this character become this extremely violent character. Who, yeah, that's one way you can go. And the other way you go is the way they had Thor go. 
a lot of people have expressed a dismay with Fat Thor, as they call him. You know, Thor, who's become this despondent alcoholic. I'm going to defend that choice here because I don't think it's going to be a popular opinion. But I think that they couldn't have done it with any character other than Thor. I think that it's out of character for the other characters to do something like this. The reason why I think they can get away with it with Thor is actually one of my pet peeves with the Marvel Cinematic Universe is that they've treated Thor so poorly that they really, I mean, they might as well you know, do this because you know, they've already destroyed Asgard. Again, like Captain America, he's lost everything twice. So he's kind of got a double whammy here, a first of the events of Thor Ragnarok where most of the Asgardians are killed. And then you have half of them being snapped away by Thanos. So you have just a small group of Asgardians remaining. And Thor basically is like, wow, I've really lost everything. And as we know from the Thor comics, Thor has always kind of been a bit of a drama queen. We have a lot of, of whining and crying in these old Stan Lee issues. Uh, you know, woe is me. And we even had an issue where he's like, oh, should I kill myself because, because he lost a fight? You know, it, it, there, there's always been this sort of drama queen element with Thor that I can see working in, in this regard. Is it where I'd like to see Thor go? No, it really isn't. But that's because I really like the character of Thor to be this heroic god. And I, as much as I dislike the direction, I think it makes sense with the character in the context of the MCU because the MCU has not treated him with much respect to begin with. So I, I kind of get why they did it. I'm not thrilled about it. But at the same time, like I said, they really couldn't have any of the other characters have that kind of reaction because I think if really if you had the Scarlet Witch or you had Hawkeye in the same kind of situation and do the same thing, nobody would care. It wouldn't have a big enough emotional impact. So it has to be, woe the mighty has fallen. And the way to make that happen is to have it happen to Thor. Now, we're going to go into a little bit more detail with Thor's character arc than we have with some of the other characters because this is a Thor-centric podcast. So I also find that Thor's role in the, in the action of the film is one of the more satisfying emotional arcs in the movie. He gets over his despondence as the result of talking with his mother. Now, the, one of the interesting things about the structure of, of Endgame is that you actually have it kind of tying together the, the entire MCU by selectively picking a point from the MCU's past and revisiting. So we have uh, you know Thor and Rocket going to Asgard during the events of Thor the Dark World. So I thought that that was kind of a cool way to tie everything together. And I think that they do a, an admirable job of tying the entire MCU together we have these little touchstones from each of the eras of the MCU in a way that makes sense. And I think that they, the Russos did a good job of tying it all together and providing this nice, neat little capstone on top. You might as well put a little bow on the top of the, of the DVD thing you know, because they really do tie it up that neatly. Um, now, there's reasons for the, the reason why they tie it up neatly is because people's contracts are up and they want to go on and do other things, and I get that. It does, however, look like we're going to have Thor around for Guardians 3 and maybe another Thor movie as well. There's some interesting things going on where we have Loki getting away with the Tesseract. That could conceivably come back and bite them later. 
I mean, it, it is an alternate reality, so I kind of feel bad for the people who live in that reality. But yeah, maybe they can figure out a way to make an interesting Thor story with that. We'll, we'll find out. It is an interesting way where we can get Loki back in order to have him appear in his TV series because we have a Loki series coming out in Disney+. Plus. So that is going to be... It'll be interesting to see if that comes out of the events of Avengers Endgame or not. Uh, Loki's adventure with the Tesseract, I don't know. Um, it was kind of a surprise to have Jane Foster's little cameo there. As I understand it, this was leftover footage from Thor The Dark World, um, and they didn't actually have her come back except to do some voiceover. Um, so, you know, it's a cheap way to get uh, the actress back, isn't it? Okay, so before we wrap this up and I give you my final grade for the movie, I just wanted to talk about the continuity errors. Now, there are two really big ones, uh, one of which is not that big, but the other one of which is huge, and I think a lot of people actually caught on to it. And that is, any time travel story, you're going to have some confusion. And we have a five-year gap between the uh, you know, the death of Thanos and the beginning of the adventure of, of Endgame. So there is this gap, and this is where a lot of stuff happens. This is where Ant-Man comes back. This is where you know, Captain America starts his support group and all that stuff. So interestingly enough, this is a problem. And the reason why it becomes a problem is because we have the scene where they promise to bring back all of the people who were snapped away by Thanos, but all of the events of the last five years still happen. Now, that in itself is not a problem. Where this becomes a problem is at the very end, after everybody is brought back, and we've got your happy ending, and we show people going back to their own lives, and we have the character of Peter Parker. Uh, Peter Parker is shown being back in school with all of his friends, but... This is five years later. Why is Peter Parker still in high school? Why are all his friends still in high school? You know, that is one of the really glaring errors in, in the continuity. The other one has to do with the Guardians of the Galaxy, and that is the fact that now Star-Lord is wanting to go out and find the 2014 version of Gamora. Of course, we want to have Gamora in Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Obviously, it's hard to do that if, if she's gone. But the problem that we have here is the snap. And I'm not talking about Thanos' snap. I'm talking about Iron Man's snap. So Tony Stark snaps his fingers, and he simultaneously brings back everybody that Thanos had snapped away, but he also snaps away Thanos' army and all of the, the bad guys, basically, including Thanos himself. Now, if you were paying any attention to the movie, 2014 Gamora was one of those bad guys. So 2014 Gamora should be cornflakes along with all the rest of Thanos' army. Now, at this point, some people might say to me, hey, Tom, don't forget, Gamora betrayed Thanos. Yeah, that's all fine and good, except Tony Stark didn't know that. He wasn't there. So I think the point still stands. But instead, they kind of imply that she got away. I, I don't know how that works. I, I think that any reasonable interpretation of this is that Gamora was, was turned into cornflakes with the rest of Thanos' army. That, that's also a continuity error. And I will see how they address that, if they address that in Guardians of the Galaxy 3. I assume they are going to have her there because 
Guardians of the Galaxy without Gamora is, you know, a less interesting series. On the other hand, maybe they don't address it at all. Maybe you know, they come to the realization that, that she's actually gone, which I think would be kind of anticlimactic if the whole reason they're going away is to find her. It would be more likely they, they could go back to, uh, you know, Volinar, whatever the planet is where she died, and... <laughs> <laughs> finding her and raising her corpse from the dead. It's incidentally, I'm I'm surprised that when the uh Hawkeye and the Black Widow went down the cliff that they didn't find her at the bottom. But anyway, so those were the two big continuity errors. And the Gamora one doesn't bother me so much, but the Spider Man one, that's that kind of sticks with me. That's it's kinda okay, guys, that was sloppy. Anyway, um, all right, so uh, since we're kind of running into the 25-minute range here, I just wanted to talk really briefly about my total score for this movie. All right, so on to the final grades. Uh, Avengers Endgame I find to be a very enjoyable movie. It was a three-hour-long movie that didn't seem as long as it was. There was always something interesting happening. I never got bored during the movie. That would have been the worst thing that could happen in a movie like this. There was a lot going on, but at the same time, it was done in a way that it kept your interest, and I thought that that was good. Acting universally was really good. I don't think there was a bad performance anywhere in this film. I think all of the actors were very strong in their roles. There was some nonsense that yeah, we didn't care for, but for the most part, I, I really like what was happening here in the film as far as the actors go. Uh, the character arcs, for the most part, made sense. I think we have some issues with Thor. I also am not real thrilled about what they did with the Hulk, but I understand it from the, from the standpoint of this is something that actually happened in the comics as well. So this is something that, that makes sense to bring into the MCU at some point. And you know, none of us were really happy with what they did with Thor, but I've already explained why I think that that was an okay choice. It wasn't how we'd prefer to see Thor treated, but it is consistent with the way that Thor's been treated in the MCU so far. So uh, with that, I'm going to give them a, a soft pass on that and hope that they do better by Thor as the MCU continues, as long as Hemsworth is playing the part. The special effects, obviously, uh, for the most part, really, really good. Uh, it was never really distracted. There were a couple of times with Nebula where you could kind of see the the joins in her in her makeup, but the any time you have a heavy prosthetic, you have the risk of something like that happening, and I, it didn't happen too often with her. So, generally speaking, special effects, makeup really good. This Avengers movie has the best musical score of any of the other Avengers movies so far. They brought in little bits and pieces from the other Marvel properties while they were, you know, recurring the the phrase, the musical phrases for the different characters. I I caught that and and it was appreciated. Yeah. So th they did a good job of incorporating all this stuff into the score. Uh, that's, it's it's actually you know Marvel movies unfortunately that they they don't they don't have memorable scores. Some of the themes are are memorable, but other than these specific sort of Wagnerian musical phrases like the Avengers theme, you really don't have a lot that's memorable. It's just music that's meant for punctuation. And that's okay, but I did notice the music at a few points during the movie. And I think that it added to the drama. And I th so therefore, I think that the uh, the score was was overall pretty strong. Uh, direction was strong. And again, it, you know, they made some choices that I found were dubious. But overall, I think they did a really good job as far as the direction. Therefore, I think I'm just going to give Avengers Endgame a, a solid B 
plus as far as its its place in the MCU universe. It's not at the very top. I think that there's some individual films that are probably a little bit better, but but it's still a good movie. It's still an enjoyable film, and it's definitely one that I could I could watch again and enjoy it. So uh, by that regards, I think that, that it comes out pretty well. All right, so that's about it for this week, folks. I think we've said just about everything we can about Avengers Endgame. If you disagree with us, if you agree with us, just get, drop us a line. You can email us at radiofreeasgard at gmail.com. You can also join the Facebook group over there. Just look for Radio Free Asgard in the little searchy box, and you will find us. Uh, yeah, and uh, next week we'll be back to the normal schedule. We'll be uh, wrapping up the Hercules Unbound series over the next few weeks. And then, of course, we'll be going back to covering some variety of Thor comic at some point. <laughs> and that will be that. All right. And with that, I am back over the Rainbow Bridge, back to New Asgard, some fishing village in Norway. And uh, that still sounds pretty nice, doesn't it? And we'll see you next time here on Radio Free Asgard. Radio Free Asgard is copyright Tom Harris USA Productions, which is totally responsible for its content. The characters, stories, and situations presented on this program are copyright their respective copyright holders and are presented for entertainment, review, and educational purposes only. No ownership is implied. We make no money from this podcast and the contents are believed to be covered under fair use. If you like what you've heard on today's program, we'd appreciate it if you leave us an iTunes review, send us an email with your feedback, tell your friends, if you have any, or annoy your coworkers with our incoherent ramblings and silly voices. Thanks once again for listening to Radio Free Asgard.